Hello, and thank you for joining us for this teaching from Pennington AG Church Online. Today, we are into our third week of our Jonah series, and we're into the third chapter of the book of Jonah. It's an Old Testament minor prophet. And a few things to recap where we've been. Jonah is a prophetic book written in, largely, the narrative format. 75% of the book, or chapters one, three, and four, are written as narratives. Chapter two, which takes place in the stomach of a great fish, is poetic as Jonah reflects and offers a prayer of confession and repentance. And as we read the book of Jonah, there are things we can learn from this book about how to read the whole Bible. There are different forms of literature, narrative and poetic in it. It is a book about a prophet. It is a book with hyperbolic language. The book is big and its scope is big and it's theatrical and cinematic in its scope. And the central character of the story is not a good guy. And so as we read the book of Jonah, we learn to read the whole Bible through the lens of we are not the heroes, the men and women of scripture outside of Jesus are not the heroic figures, they're the ones who are either villains or victims. And as we read the Bible with ourselves in this place, we unlock the power of Jesus throughout the whole book because we read scripture as a unified story, both human and divine, that leads to Jesus. Let's dive into chapter three of the book of Jonah. Jonah chapter three, verse one. Then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I have given you. Now this is now the second time that God has said this to Jonah. He says it in chapter one. Jonah, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach to them that I'm going to destroy them if they don't repent. And that's where we see Jonah literally run the opposite direction, try to get away. There's a storm. He's thrown overboard. A giant fish swallows him and now spits him onto the coast. And while he's on the coast, God speaks to him a second time and says, Jonah, get up and go do what I asked you to do. Go to Nineveh. I think what's beautiful about the language here is God actually changes his wording to not include all the details because he's like, you've heard this before, Jonah. I'm asking you to go back and do what I told you to do before. So many times we want God to speak to us 50 million times, but go back to what you felt God speak to you in the first place and allow him to guide you forward. Continuing in verse three, this time Jonah obeyed the Lord's command and went to Nineveh, a city so large that it took three days to see it all. It said three days to see it all would be a city um, maybe eight miles across, and then the circumference would be that. Um, I don't know if there are ancient cities that big that it would take three days to walk around, but it's part of the language of this story. Everything's huge. Everything's dramatic. Jonah doesn't just run away. He runs as far as exists in the known world at the time. Jonah is not just in a boat thrown overboard. He's in the middle of a chaotic storm that's tearing the ship apart. He doesn't just fall into the ocean. He says, I sank to the bottom of the sea, the bottom of the mountains. And he's not just washed up on shore. A ginormous monstrous fish swallows him, spits him out onto the coast to a giant city. This is part of the language of Jonah and part of the way scripture is written to help us understand how big the scale and scope of what God is doing is. Verse four, on the day Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds, 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. 
the people of Nineveh believed God's message, and from the greatest to the least, they declared a fast and put on burlap to show their sorrow. Jonah sort of phones it in. That's not the best sermon I've ever heard. That one sentence, 40 days from now, Jonah will be destroyed. It almost feels like, from what we know of Jonah in the book, he doesn't even want them to repent. He's trying to do a bad job and just shares that, but it works. It works. They respond to it. And Jonah, even though he's done the least possible to get to this moment, God still works through him to speak to the people of Nineveh. They hear from God and immediately they're obedient. When the king of Nineveh heard what Jonah was saying, he stepped down from his throne and took off his royal robes. He dressed himself in burlap and sat on a heap of ashes. Then the king and his nobles sent this decree throughout the city. No one, not even the animals from your herds and flocks, may eat or drink anything at all. People and animals alike must wear garments of mourning, and everyone must pray earnestly to God. They must turn from their evil ways and stop all of their violence. Who can tell? Perhaps even yet God will change his mind and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. If you get a humorous image of animals putting on repenting clothing and being sad, um, yeah, that's part of it. And this is part of the language of how big the scale and scope of what's happening is. Even the animals need to repent and put on sackcloth. But Jonah doesn't go to the king. He finds out about it. And then he responds in a huge way. Continuing, when God saw what the people had done, and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. God responds to their obedience. In this immediate moment, there's a lot to unpack in this last sentence of chapter 3. A lot about God changing his mind. What does that mean? How does God change his mind? How does God change his mind on such an immediate change and quantify this as a true change? Even though we know about 150 years later, they are destroyed for their sins and their violence. So it doesn't stick for generations. How does God see this? But what the author of Jonah wants us to take away from this is God's response to obedience and God's response to confession and repentance of sin. Jonah is a book about obedience, our failures and the consequences of when we are not obedient, and God's faithfulness to work through us when we are obedient. And let's look at this a little closer. Because, as we see in verses 1 through 4, obedience beats sacrifice every time. Obedience is more important than sacrifice. Scripture says this plainly, but we see in the story of Jonah, God just wants his people to be obedient. He wants them just to follow God's commands and will for their lives. He wants us to live as he has made us to live. And many times we would rather the giant emotional response, expression to God when we feel sorrow, when God just says, just do what I've called you to do. Be the people I've made you to be. Jonah has tasted the result of what happens when he is inobedient, when he um, flies in the face of obedience. We see what the consequences are for Jonah. We see disaster on a ship. We see near drowning in the ocean. We see the monstrous fish. And we see even for Jonah, even in his disobedience, he still ends up back in where God has called him. And so Jonah has seen the consequences of disobedience. 
And Jonah can say at this point, and we see actually in chapter four, Jonah still is bemoaning of his own sacrifice. I did all this or I've suffered this much. And God centers him back in the beginning of this chapter and says, I've called you to be obedient. I haven't called you for emotional demonstrations. I haven't called you for vast gestures. I've called you for obedience. I've called you to live as I've made you to live. I've called you to live as my image bearer in my will, close to my heart and with a heart for others. I've called you to be obedient. 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 22 says it famously like this. And this is a story um, before Jonah's time about King David and King Saul and Saul's failure in disobedience. Samuel, the prophet at the time, replies to Saul, What is more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and sacrifices, or your obedience to his voice? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice, and submission is better than offering the fat of rams. This time, Jonah is obedient. After the miraculous moments and being spit back on the beach, Jonah is finally obedient. He takes action, says he gets up and he goes to Nineveh. He speaks with words in obedience, but we don't know Jonah's feelings at this point. In chapter four, it's kind of revealed we see his feelings. Even in doing this, he's still not feeling it. He's still not glad about it. He's still not entirely loving in his heart and emotions to the people of Assyria and the capital of Nineveh, but he's loving in his obedience of expressing God's love and mercy. And one of the great things we see about what God has called us to do is he cares more about our actions than about even how we feel about those actions. And if we are obedient and consistent in the small things, we do not need to do the giant gestures of sacrifice. We can avoid a lot of pain. Jonah could have avoided two whole chapters of this book by being obedient in the first place. And many of us could avoid a lot of the suffering in our own lives by being obedient initially, by responding to a small moment of God's voice and doing it, by responding to a correction from another loved one in the church in a small group of pastoral presence, or even reading scripture and having it convict us by being obedient, we can avoid a lot of our own suffering. Oftentimes we have to go through our suffering to then kind of realize it. I do this. Actually, a story from a few years ago, um, one of the things that I struggle in as a pastor, and I'll be totally vulnerable with you in this video, um, I love teaching, I love vision, I love investing um, in specific leadership people and discipling, and I do struggle sometimes in the pastoral care component of what I do. And the people on the fringes of the church, um, I will oftentimes get so into the vision of what I'm doing that I forget. And I'm grateful for staff members and elders that help guide me and correct and to grow in this. But a few years ago, there was a moment where I spent a whole day and I had a lot to do. And instead, I drove a really far distance to visit a shut-in member of the church. And I spent the whole day doing it and I pushed off a lot of other responsibilities. And coming back to it, actually, I felt like, all right, good, I did this, I'm, I'm, I'm getting better at this. And I talked to my wife when I got home and she'd asked me if I had gotten done the other things I needed to get done. And I was like, well, no, but I went and did this. And she said, why did you do that today? And I said, well, they're shut in and they need help. And she said, well, you could have done that any other of times. I think what you did today is something you do 
where you made a large grand sacrificial gesture because you feel guilty that you haven't been obedient to this part of your calling. And I am grateful for spouses that will speak truth and cut into us in order to guide us and prune us and shape us because in that moment I knew she was right. I tried to do what I do and that's grand sweeping gestures of emotional sacrifice where what God wants from me is obedience, obediently calling and visiting these people. Instead, I try to do one moment in a month of a big gesture rather than small moments of obedience. We do this as spouses. We try to make a grand gesture of a ton of flowers and a big moment, an expensive dinner, when what our partner wants is moments of obedience around the house and in conversation and in presence. We try to do this when it comes to our friends and big moments of I'm so, so sorry rather than the moments of calling and texting with regularity and being present. We try to do this as leaders. I'm that way. I want to hit home run hits rather than playing small ball and regularly being present and consistent to lead people forward. What God wants from us is small obedience rather than big grand moments of sacrifice. But what this means in Jonah and the beautiful thing that this teaches us is even when we haven't been obedient and when we're not obedient, the problems pile up. And even when it gets to that moment where it's a grand chaotic moment where we want to make a grand chaotic response gesture, the solution is still small moments of obedience. The solution is still obedience. If you've lost trust in somebody else, if you've lost momentum in it, if you've lost consistency in your own spiritual life, it's not a grand gesture. When we fall behind in devotionals, don't spend Saturday reading 51 chapters. When you've fallen into a sin moment, don't spend hours at the altar. When you've failed somebody, don't go way out of your way to make these gestures. And you can do those things and they're still good, but they're not the solution. The solution is coming back into the moments of obedience. And sometimes those emotional expressions will, will galvanize it in us, you know, will galvanize us to move forward. But what's key is getting back into the moments of obedience. If you've lost deep trust by somebody else, if you've lost momentum and you've been really disobedient, the beautiful thing we see in Jonah is the solution is still just going back to being obedient again going back to doing what you knew you were supposed to do before. And after grand moments, it may take longer to rebuild, but the solution is still obedience. And then we see the Ninevites respond very differently than Jonah. They are obedient right away in that exact moment. They're in. Jonah gives a terrible sermon, one sentence, and they're in. They're obedient right away. They respond to God's warning. But notice the progression. They believe what God has said through Jonah, and as a result, they repent. Belief precedes repentance. And scripture says even demons believe, but they don't change their life to be obedient, and thus they're lost. What we believe as followers of Jesus, as people who stand on the word of God, needs to be produced in action, needs to be produced by obedience. John chapter 15, verses 10 through 13, Jesus tells us like this. This is often uh, mistaught, so we're going to walk this briefly in a loving way of understanding. John 15, 10 through 13. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you may be filled with joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. 
the beginning part of this is often taught as if you're not being obedient, you're not loving Jesus, or God may not love you if you're not being obedient, and God loves those who are obedient according to the call. When what Jesus is saying is, when you love me, you will want to be obedient. When you love who I am, and when you sit in the presence of the character of God personified in Jesus and lived out through the cross, when you fall in love with that Jesus, how he teaches, how gracious and loving he is, how gentle and generous he is, when you fall in love with that Jesus, and then he asks you to take a step of obedience, you'll say, of course I'll do that. I love you and I love who you are and what you're doing in my life. I want to be obedient to you. It's not that we prove our love through obedience. It's the love that we feel in the relationship drives us to obedience. And Jesus says it's a joy, not a trudgery, but that we want to do it because of how great Jesus is. Some of us have not felt the love of God strongly enough. Jonah doesn't feel the love of God strongly enough. He's not perceiving it. And he's close to God. He's a prophet of the high God. He's a prophet in the kingdom of Israel, God's chosen people. And what we see is he doesn't understand God's love. And as a result, it is difficult for him to be obedient. He doesn't understand that the love of God is so big, it's for all people, even the broken, violent ones of the Ninevites. He doesn't understand that God loves him so deeply that he's given him a great life to be about his word and his message for other people. He doesn't understand God's love that even in his disobedience, God will fight for the heart of Jonah to bring him back. Many of us have been around God a really long time, and our love for him has begun to be taken for granted. And I just serve it and I do it and I read my scriptures. When we remind ourselves of the character of Jesus and we remind ourselves of the character of God, a God who will send his people across the sea and to a dangerous people group, into a giant dangerous city who will run someone from a ship to the ocean to a giant fish back into a dangerous city in order to express his love for people who have been openly hostile to him. This is the love of our God who chases us, who is patient with us, who is lovingly consistent with us. When we understand that love, we are now able to be obedient. Many of us need to begin with that. Begin with the nature of God in order to move into obedience. The Ninevites respond in this moment. They hear of this God who instead of destroying them is going to give them a chance for mercy and they're overwhelmed and they respond in obedience. To be obedient, we don't just try harder. We return to the source of love and mercy in Jesus Christ. And this brings us to one of the central ideas and messages of the book of Jonah and the Bible itself. God wants us to love our enemies. God wants us to love others who may not love us, who are not kind to us, who may hate us. Because we are enemies of God in our own disobedience and he still loves and pursues us. Paul, early church planter and writer, says this about it in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Before we talk about loving others, we need to understand that God loved us when we were disobedient to him, when we were opposed to him, when we were in our own self-interest and pride, we were enemies by our own decision of God. And he bridged that with his love and his mercy. 
This is where Jonah fails so much. He doesn't see himself as someone disobedient to God, loved by God's mercy. He sees himself as one of God's chosen people who deserves God's love. And the Ninevites are not God's chosen people and don't deserve his love. What God says is every human being is undeserving of my love and I give it by my great capacity of grace, mercy, and forgiveness. And Jonah, if you don't understand that that is how I've called you and loved you, you will have to live out this adventure to see how deeply broken you are and how greatly gracious I am so you know that I can also extend that to these people. This is where we fail so hard right now in the Christian church. We have turned each other into straw men that we hate and criticize and vilify. Spouse against spouse, older church members against younger church members, conservatives versus liberals, Christian versus non-Christian. And we turn each other into a straw man version of who we really are. And we've turned it into right versus wrong and we're right, and you're wrong. And in that, I am going to see you as my enemy, and I'm going to see you as someone to correct and not somebody to love. What Jesus teaches us is, the one without sin is the first one to cast the stone. And the one saved by grace is the one who is first to extend the olive branch of love and mercy. Jonah has every human right to hate the Assyrians and to see them as his enemies. They want to destroy the Israelites. Eventually, they will destroy the northern kingdom of Israel. But God asks him to take a step of grace before they are asking for it. Is going into enemy territory a better situation for Jonah? No, it's dangerous. And Jonah, even in his perceived notion that it's not going to be good, even after refusing to go, God still draws him to go. And Jonah still doesn't want to love his enemies. But love for neighbor, whoever that neighbor may be, trumps our love of nation or our individual ethnicity or our own political persuasion. The Apostle Paul reminds us that we are neither Greek nor Jew, slave nor free, male nor female. We are one in Christ Jesus and we all are image bearers of the great and high King Jesus, God himself. The story of scripture, we are all one in God's creation. Through our own sin, we become other to each other. As we try to solve that in our own human rights, we splinter even further apart until we receive the oneness in the perfection of Jesus Christ, God in flesh, who leads us to perfect oneness on the day he returns and makes his kingdom one, heaven and earth. The king of Nineveh is aware he's wrong before Jonah even gets there. He simply needs the grace of God through Jonah to see it. It says in verse 8, turn from our evil ways. He knows that what they do is violent and overthrowing and he just needs an extension of grace. Matthew chapter 8 verses 5 through 7, we see an example of Jesus living this out himself. When Jesus returned to Capernaum, a Roman officer came and pleaded with him, Lord, my young servant is in bed, paralyzed and in terrible pain. Jesus said, I will come and heal him. The Roman centurion is a representative of the people group oppressing Jesus' people, oppressing God's chosen people, God himself in Jesus. This man represents people oppressing Jesus' kingdom. He doesn't deserve Jesus' grace and mercy. He is one of the soldiers representing the kingdom 
who will put Jesus on a Roman cross and put him to death. But Jesus shows mercy to him. He shows mercy to the enemy of his people. Jesus is love embodied and love reaches out across hate and hurt. And now I am not saying, as many voices are right now, we need to reconcile just for the sake of reconciliation. I'm not saying that. And the book of Jonah is not saying that. Jonah didn't come with a message of let's come back together and don't change yourself and don't correct your sin or your violence. Jonah comes and says, you must turn and acknowledge your sin. You must acknowledge your brokenness. You must repent from what you've done. But if you do, we will come back together as God's kingdom and we will see his grace and mercy move. And so we still move to call out the sin and brokenness of this world. But as we do so, we do it with mercy and love. Lastly, we see one of the most beautiful aspects of Jonah is that God responds to a repentant, humble heart. He does. It's one of his very natures. That when his people humble themselves and when they repent before him, God responds. The Ninevites go nuts when Jonah preaches to them. As I said, it's not a very good sermon, but their response is like the greatest response to a sermon you could ever imagine. Jonah comes in, he goes, you gotta repent or in 40 days you're going to, and they're like, oh my goodness, in 40 days, we gotta repent. Everybody, get on your knees. Everybody, repent. Confess, we've been doing this wrong. Get your animals, make your animals repent. Someone tell the king, and the king's like, oh my goodness, we've been doing this. We gotta get down out of here. I'm gonna go into dust. I'm gonna change my clothes. I'm gonna repent before everybody. As a whole nation, we're all gonna confess. As a preacher, that response is like, that's amazing. That's, that's the best response you possibly could get. And we see in their response, and again, as Jonah writes, the responses are, are over the top. And as they respond over the top, God responds to their confession and repentance. This story is like the story somebody shares of the atheist bully in high school that goes to one youth group and he confesses his sin and changes his life. A New Testament example is Luke chapter 19, when Jesus invites Zacchaeus to dinner together Zacchaeus confesses and changes immediately and repents immediately. And Jesus says, salvation has come to this home. When we are open to correction and when we are open to be teachable and when we respond to correction with humble confession and repentance, God moves in to our humble heart. James chapter 4 and 5 all give us a rundown of what this looks like as Christians, not just Old Testament examples, but as followers of Christ. When we confess and repent, it requires action, and we need to be open to be corrected. In their humility as Ninevites, God responds. And this chapter exists in Scripture for one main purpose, to challenge us as followers of God how open to correction are we? How do we respond when someone points out our own sin? It's not an accident that in Jonah, he is called to go to the worst people, the people who are going to murder his kingdom, the worst of all worst. It's not an accident that the central prophetic character of Jonah, who should be the hero in our minds, is the least repentant and most stubborn person. It's not an accident. It's God teaching us something about his character. And God is saying, even the worst possible people, if they confess and repent, I will show mercy. 
But if my people who know me and have read my scriptures and have heard my voice believe that they are beyond correction, I will embarrass them and I will reach out to others. You may know me, but if your heart is not soft to hear from my voice, I'll move on to another. And I'll embarrass you by choosing the worst people. It's what Jesus says to the Jewish community of his day. If your hearts are not soft and you are not open to correction, to hear my voice, I will move on to another group. I will move to the Gentiles and I will bring my will through them. I think about this story of Jonah and I think about the church of where we are today. I think about the white evangelical church in 2020 and 2021. I think about how open are we to correction. And I don't mean this as a judgment on any side or any identity. What I mean is, do we have a posture of humility? Do we have a posture where we are quick to confess and quick to repent and humble of heart to hear God move and work among us? Or do we dig our feet in? Do we fight back for our own pride and identity? Is it hard for us to admit when we are wrong and to receive correction? I think about another Old Testament writer in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. Then if my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and restore their land. Can we be a community that quickly moves into repentance and quickly moves into asking God to highlight our sin and to move us into correction? Because what the author of Jonah teaches us is we are God's chosen people for him to work through and move through us. But if we are disobedient, he will move to others and he will lead them and guide them in order to accomplish his will. God's people are not defined by an ethnicity. God's people are not defined by how often they go to church or who their parents are or what community they grew up in. God's people are defined by the humble of heart who recognize their sin and need of a savior in Jesus Christ and confess their sins and walk forward in obedience. Are we seeking the obedience of God and are we open to his correction and will? As we read Jonah, let's be like Nineveh. I don't want to be like Jonah. Jonah gets there in this middle moment and we'll see in the end, it doesn't end well for Jonah, God's chosen person. But in this moment, a broken, sinful people recognize their sin, confess and repent and turn into obedience. I don't know where you in your own individual life need this message from Jonah and need an encouragement to be obedient, to confess our sin, to humble ourselves, and to be teachable in spirit. But I wanna remain soft of heart and open to the correction that God guides me as I read his scripture. May I be guided and corrected by it. As I pray in his presence and invite him to speak to me, may I hear and respond. And in the community that God has given me, in this community that Christ has called me to, may I be open to correction to be obedient to his voice and guidance forward. You may be hearing this sermon and be learning about Jonah and you may not have a relationship with Jesus. And I wanna just give you an encouragement, that love that Jesus has, that mercy that he is, is yours to receive. And a first step of doing that is inviting him in, is recognizing as the people of Nineveh do, as recognizing as this moment Jonah does, 
that we need God's grace and mercy. And God shows that to us in Jesus Christ. And so if you'll pray this with me, you can take your first step of obedience towards the grace and mercy of Jesus. God, today I want to offer a prayer to you. Jesus, I want to speak to you. Jesus, God in the flesh who lived on this earth, who died on a Roman cross to take on my sin, my shame, my brokenness. Jesus, who was buried in the ground for three days and rose again on the third and conquered death itself, left my sin in the grave and resurrected so that I one day may be resurrected and then gave me your spirit for eternity and to live in obedience with you. Jesus, you gave your life for me. Today I commit my life to follow you, to be obedient to you, King Jesus, in your presence. I pray this, amen. I pray this prayer at the end of every sermon. I give it open for anyone who has never followed Jesus before. But in light of this chapter three of Jonah and confession and repentance, I just wanna encourage any of you listening and watching this, may we make this our prayer every day to confess our need for Jesus, to repent of our sins and to be open to the leading and correction of his Holy Spirit. I pray that as you do so, you will be in his obedience and you will experience his love and joy more and more. Thank you for joining me for this teaching from Pennington AG Church Online.